Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Right here, I've got a a message that I believe that God has given me to share today that I've been excited about preaching for a little while. But before I do, I just need to, um, to thank Tracy for her message last week. Wasn't that, wasn't that so good? We took a little bit of time away and I got the chance to listen to the message later. And I know that I already said this to you by way of text, but I was so moved by your authenticity and your vulnerability and your ability to share that he is God even amongst all of the shame and that God can redeem and that God can restore. And I'm so thankful for that reminder that he's still God. He's still God. Amen. We, we took a little bit of time going out of town. We went over to California. We preached at a, a church down in California. This was Meredith and I. We took the whole family with us to spend a little bit of time over in sunny California. And actually, we were in Monterey, California at the same time that Bishop was in Monterey, Mexico at the same time that Pastor Kathy was in Mexico City preaching. We had a whole bunch of ministering going on all over the place last week, but we had a really wonderful time at at the church of uh, some of our friends down there. And thank you for praying for us in our absence. It's always felt. We spent a few days then up in Lake Tahoe and had the opportunity to get refreshed and have some quiet time. And and it was just great resting and turning off devices and just being present with family. And we taught Theo, our eldest, how to play Monopoly. And uh, he's a little shark, man. He, uh, we, we taught him the first time. And, you know, so we're, we're taking it easy on him. And we're teaching him the strategy of how to play Monopoly. And then he took all of our money. And with no, no shame, didn't hold back nothing, our seven-year-old destroyed us in the game of Monopoly. So we played him again the next time, and we thought to ourselves, well, we're not going to be as kind this time. We're just going to teach him what it means to, you know, to understand this game a little bit more. And don't you know, that little guy beat us again a second time. And he does not need any ego boost. He needs no extra confidence and so the third time, the next day that we played him, he's like, um, he's already walking around and giggling to himself about how much he's going to beat us this third time. And Meredith and I say with him, uh, with him not around, we say, hey, let's, let's team up together to make sure that he doesn't beat us a third time because this cannot happen. And don't you know that even with Meredith and I working together, he still beat us in Monopoly a third time. That little seven-year-old is going to be a multi-millionaire by the time he graduates from high school. And so we have now put him in charge of all of our personal family finances. He's in charge of all of our investments. Anytime that we buy something, we check it by him first. But we had uh, had such a, a great time in California. Thank you so much. Being away for Thanksgiving and just enjoying Thanksgiving, it's one of my favorite Seasons and one of my favorite holidays. We don't have Thanksgiving in Australia, and so I didn't have it growing up. 
but I've been able to play catch-up. We go extra hard for Thanksgiving now, and so we have multiple days of Thanksgiving. We don't just celebrate and sit down one time. We have days and days of Thanksgiving in the Ryburn household because we have a lot to be grateful for. And so we went away for Thanksgiving, but now that Thanksgiving is in our past, in our rear view, I know that we can all celebrate Christmas. Tracy talked about this last week, that, that you don't get to celebrate Christmas until Thanksgiving has already been passed, but now everybody is authorized to finally celebrate Christmas. I know that some people have already been putting up decorations, and some people have already been singing Christmas music and playing Christmas music throughout your household. Now everybody is authorized to finally be in Christmas season, per Tracy's authority. I was thinking about Christmas, though, and thinking about how it is a time that is filled with celebration. It is a time that is filled with hope. It is a time that is filled with generosity. It is a time as we begin to think about our coming king that we are filled with love and warmth as we think about that little baby Jesus coming in the manger, the story of the journey to Bethlehem and the manger and the animals and the kings and the shepherds and the entire nativity scene, we begin to think about Christmas in this season. But I don't think that you can accurately understand Christmas without understanding why Jesus had to come in the first place. Jesus had to come in the first place to shed his blood for us. This is why at the beginning of this Christmas season, we are receiving communion today. You should have received it on the way in. At the end of this service, we will be receiving communion together because it's important that you understand that there was no reason for Christmas without the reason for Easter in the first place. We don't talk often about the blood of Jesus anymore. We don't talk about it too much in church. We don't talk about the blood of Jesus in our homes too much. But I need you to understand the blood of Jesus today. It's something that we used to talk about a whole lot more about in church. We used to sing about it more often. We used to talk about it more often. We used to read about it more often. But I need you to understand a little bit deeper about the blood of Jesus today. I need you to not just understand it because this is, not a, this is not a school, and I am not a professor here to teach about the blood of Jesus. This is a church, and I am the pastor here to share revelation about the blood of Jesus and what it is that he has done and why it is that he has done it for us. If you don't accurately understand the blood of Jesus and the death of Jesus, then you cannot understand the reason that he came in the first place. And you cannot enjoy Christmas fully if you don't understand the context around Easter. You cannot fully understand and appreciate the blood of Jesus without tracing back blood throughout the generations and throughout the story of human history as we read about it in the Bible. We have to take it all the way back. You cannot fully comprehend the Lord's Supper. You cannot fully comprehend what the author of Hebrews chapter 9 was talking about with regard to the blood of Jesus if you don't trace things back to first mention. First mention is when we take something that we learn about and we look all the way back 
into the book of Genesis and see when that thing was first mentioned to us. First mentions is important as a form of study because it helps us understand themes and how they resonate throughout Scripture. When we read accurately in the form of first mentions, we begin to see the way that the story of blood was talked about in Genesis all the way through Revelation. We begin to understand not only how we were made and why we were made, but what Jesus intends to do with us. This is why first mentions is important as a form of study and understanding what it, what it means to understand the blood of Jesus. Y'all ready? It has been revealed to us from the very beginning of human history that when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that God did was to shed innocent blood for them. God shed the blood from the animal to cover their skin with the animal's skin. This became a picture for us and the understanding of righteousness and the covering of righteousness when Jesus shed his blood for us. From the very beginning when blood is mentioned in the Bible, we begin to understand types and shadows of our coming Messiah. This is found in Genesis chapter 3. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 4, and we are introduced to Adam and Eve's Two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel are brought up to be worshipers. Cain and Abel are worshipers from a young age. And Cain works out in the field and he brings a sacrifice to God. Cain brings a sacrifice of harvest. And he brings a sacrifice in the form of fruits and vegetables that is not pleasing to God. Abel brings a sacrifice of a lamb to God that is far more pleasing. It is acceptable to God. Why? Because Abel has already learned something that we will learn much later, and that is that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. This is Genesis chapter 4 now. We read about this, the fact that Cain is now filled with jealousy from that moment, and then he turns in the first form of human violence, human on human, that now Cain kills his brother. He was Cain, who was not willing to kill a lamb, has now just killed a man. Cain commits the first violence in human history. That is Genesis chapter 4. And then along comes Abraham. Abraham is told by God that he will be the father of many nations and generations. He's told this in his young age, and he doesn't quite know how it's going to be true, but eventually... Through the providence of God, Adam and his, oh, Abraham and his wife are able to conceive a son. This son's name is Isaac. Isaac is then taken by his father up a mountain where he is told that he will be the sacrifice by his father. Abraham is told, take this child that I have given you, take this promise that I have given you and sacrifice this child. As he pulls up the dagger ready to sacrifice his son, God steps in and provides a ram caught in the bush off in the distance because we know that God is not that kind of God that would ask him to provide a sacrifice of his very own son. God in this moment 
provides a substitution. This begins to be even a deeper understanding of the substitutionary atonement of our coming Messiah that would come later in Scripture. This is the story of Abraham. Then later we read about someone named Moses. Moses. Moses enters into the story as a deliverer. I love the story of Moses. Moses is one of my favorite characters of Scripture. Moses is someone who enters into Scripture in the narrative to be the deliverer of his people in Israel. Moses enters into the story when God tells him to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh it's time that you let my people go. So Moses walks up to Pharaoh and he says just that, it's time for you to let my people go. Pharaoh says, it's not gonna happen. If you think that your husband is stubborn, you have not met this Pharaoh just yet because it takes plague after plague after plague before Pharaoh begins to even consider that he will let his people go. But then he changes his mind and it takes another plague and a plague and a plague. Eventually we get to the 10th plague, which we know is the story of the shedding of the first blood of the sun in every household. What we understand in this story is that unless there is blood that has been shed across the doorpost of your house, that the firstborn in your house is going to die. And so the Israelites are told, if you take a sacrifice, if you take an animal and you shed the blood of this animal and you paint the blood across the doorpost, then you will be protected, that no harm or danger will come to you. This is the story of the Passover. And then for about the next thousand years, we see that time after time after time, people had to bring their animals as a sacrifice to the priests in the tabernacle and in the temple for the repentance of their sins. All of these things happen as an expression of blood throughout the Old Testament. I'm going somewhere because I need to tell you that, that from the very beginning, all of these things were a type and shadow of Jesus. From the very first mention of blood in the Bible, we begin to understand a little bit more about Jesus. If you only read scripture and think that Jesus enters into the story in the book of Matthew, then you're missing the whole point. The entirety of scripture tells us about Jesus. The entirety of scripture prophesies about Jesus or tells us about Jesus from the very beginning to the very end. It's entirely about Jesus and about why he came and about why he died. And, and I need you to know that it is because of your sin that it was necessary for him to go to the cross. It is necessary for him to go to the cross because of your sin, but it is not your sin that put him there. It is his love for you that put him there. It is his love for his father that put him there. And I'm so thankful today that we serve a God who didn't just go to the grave, that God is so big and so powerful that the death could not hold him, that the grave could not hold him, that the cross could not hold him, that when Jesus got back up out of the grave, that your victory got up with him, that when Jesus got up out of the grave, that your joy got back up with him, your peace got back up with him, your salvation got back up with him. I'm thankful for a God that got back up out of the grave but I, I I cannot tell you about I cannot tell you about a savior until I tell you 
about what you need saving from. You need, you need saving from yourself. You need saving from, from sin. You need, you need saving from sin because sin is what separates us from God. Sin entered into the world when Adam and Eve first sinned in Genesis chapter 3. This happened when they chose their own desires over the instruction of what God had given to them. God told them this is the right way to live, and instead they chose their own way and their own desires and their own preference. Sin entered into the world in that moment, and it hasn't left since. This is because we all continually sin. Sin is a destroyer. Part of the reason why God hates sin is not just because of what sin is, it's because of what sin does to us. Sin separates us from God. The punishment for sin is death and eternal separation from God. Sin is, sin is a deceiver. Sin makes you think that you are getting something good, but it exchanges it for something bad. Sin, how, how, many, how many have ever sinned and you, you think that you're going to get something good, right? This is why it is sin, because it feels good in the moment. But it never leads to anything good. It's kind of like, like eating candy. It feels good in the moment, but there's no real sustenance to it. There's, there's no real substance to it. And I need you to understand the enormity of sin because it has eternal consequence. And some of us play around with sin like it's not a big deal. Some of us play around with sin like it's no problem. But sin is what separates you from your creator. Sin is the very reason that God needed to send his son into the world. The punishment for sin is death. But I'm thankful that the story doesn't end with our sin. I'm thankful that there is a solution, and that solution is the saving power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that we don't need to look forward for a solution, but that we can look back to the cross. I'm thankful that God provided a solution for us. And theologians call it the substitutionary atonement for the propitiation of our sins. That is a mouthful to say, and you can say it like that if you want. I'm just thankful that he's not just a God of grace, but that he's a God of mercy, that he's a God of justice. I'm thankful for grace. I'm thankful for grace, grace, God's amazing grace. I'm thankful for grace today. I wish this was a church that was thankful for grace today. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I'm thankful for grace today. I'm thankful that while I didn't deserve it, God offered it to me in the first place. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that he is a God that didn't just see a problem, that he had a solution from the very beginning. I'm thankful for a God that doesn't just see a question, but that he had an answer from the very beginning. I'm thankful that God doesn't just see a concern, that he, from the very formation of the world, sent Jesus, destined Jesus to die as a sacrifice for us so that we could be righteous in his eyes, so that we could be justified in his eyes, so that we could be restored, so that we could be free. I'm thankful, I'm thankful for the grace of Jesus. And it's, um, it's all throughout the Bible that we see covenants that are made by God with his people. God makes covenant after covenant after covenant. He makes a a covenant with Adam, and he makes a covenant with 
Abraham, and he makes a covenant with Noah, and he makes a covenant with Adam. He makes a covenant with Moses. We know this as the Mosaic covenant. We know this as the Mosaic law. Essentially, there were over 600 things that God told Moses to pass on to the Israelites, things to do and things not to do. A lot of these laws were centered around sacrifice and what to sacrifice and when to sacrifice and how to sacrifice. The issue with this is that this is limited. What this required was that every single year people had to return again and again and again for an annual sacrifice for the repentance of their sins. Every single year. It's limited. This is until we learn about the sacrifice of Jesus, which is no longer a limited sacrifice. This begins to be an everlasting covenant that God makes with us. This is when Jesus died once and for all, he became the sacrifice for us so that we don't need to return again and again and again for an annual sacrifice to him. We are able to celebrate and stand in the everlasting covenant. This is what the author of Hebrews refers to it as the everlasting covenant. What this means is that you can just receive Christ once and for all and you are saved. What Christ did on the cross one time is enough for you for the rest of your life. This is the everlasting covenant that you can receive what he did and so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you and your sin. He sees Jesus. And this is is how powerful the blood of Jesus is in our life. I want to tell you today about five things that, that the blood of Jesus offers to you. You can write these things down. They're going to be up on the screen for your benefit as well. Five different things that the, that the blood of Jesus offers to you. The first thing that the blood of Jesus offers to you is redemption. Redemption. Redemption means that you were bought at a price, and you have been made now into right relationship with Jesus. You have been redeemed. We read this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It says, in him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. First thing that the blood of Jesus offers to you is that you have been redeemed. The second thing that the blood of Jesus offers to you is justification. Justification. Justification means that you have been declared no longer guilty that when God looks at you, you have been justified. We see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What that means is that there is nothing that you could do to get yourself closer to God. Try as you might, you can try as hard as you want to. There's nothing that you can do to get yourself into right relationship with Christ. The only thing that you can do is accept what he has done for you. You cannot earn your way into heaven. All you can do is accept the blood of Jesus and plead the blood of Jesus and apply the blood of Jesus over your life. This is what it means for justification. The third thing that the blood of Jesus offers to you is communion. Communion is when you can be in right relationship fellowship, as the church likes to call it, fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. 
communion. This is when we are in right relationship with those that are around us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place solely by the blood of Jesus, we can now enter into the holy place that God has created because of the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, in the temple, there was a separation that existed between us and God. And now, as a result of the blood of Jesus, that veil has been torn, which means that you get to enter into the presence of God solely because of the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1 and 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That means that you don't have to hate your neighbor. That means that you don't have to hate someone that is on the other side of town as you. That means that you don't have to hate somebody who has a different skin color than you. That means that you get to be in right relationship with everybody around you because of the blood of Jesus. His blood paid the sacrifice for all of us so that we can be in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. The fourth thing that the blood of Jesus offers to you is healing and protection. And this is a funny one because we often think about the blood of Jesus as salvation and justification and restoration and those things that the blood of Jesus offers to us. And those things are true, but it doesn't just offer those things. It also offers us healing and protection as well. We see this in Isaiah 53 and 5. By his stripes, we are healed. And then again, we see this in Exodus 12 and 13. This is the story of the Passover when God says that he will pass over where he sees the blood. This is the type and the shadow and the prophecy of Jesus as well. You have the ability to be healed and protected by the blood of Jesus. The last thing The fifth thing is that you have authority over the devil. You have authority over the devil. Revelation 12 and 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You have authority over the devil. It's it's only by the blood of Jesus that you can be saved. It's only by the blood of Jesus that you can be restored. It's only by the blood of Jesus that you can be redeemed. It's only by the blood of Jesus that you can walk in victory. It's only by the blood of Jesus that you can enter into heaven. It's only by the blood of Jesus. It's all, you can be under attack from the enemy and you can still be under the blood of Jesus. When you're under the blood of Jesus, you have the ability to walk in victory. When you're under the blood of Jesus, you have the ability to be restored. When you're under the blood of Jesus, you are justified. You are righteous. You are clean. When you're under the blood of Jesus, you can walk in victory. When you're under the blood of Jesus, you you have victory in his name. You are free from bondage. And and I grew up in the church that, that talked about pleading the blood of Jesus. I don't know if you, this was your experience as well, pleading the blood of Jesus. I never, I never understood what that meant. Pleading the blood of Jesus. What does it mean to plead the blood of Jesus? As a child, I thought that we had to actually go and get blood and plead the blood, like beg the blood for what we wanted. I don't know if this is your experience as well, if you were confused, like if you thought, I had to go and actually get blood and paint blood across my doorposts. 
I don't know if this is your experience or if this was just me, that when people would talk about pleading the blood of Jesus, because like old grandmothers that grew up in the church, like when you would plead the blood of Jesus, you would grab a hold of the air and you would plead the blood of Jesus. You would grab your fist and plead the blood of Jesus just a little bit. I never really understood what this meant. I don't know if this is true for you as well, but when you plead the blood of Jesus, it really has nothing to do with begging. Pleading is, pleading is a legal term. Like when you plead the fifth, you are pleading. When you are standing in a courtroom and you have a lawyer who is representing you, you have a lawyer who is, uh, who is pleading your case, who is providing evidence. You have, a, you have a lawyer who is pleading with the judge and pleading with the jury. It's a legal term. Another way of understanding the pleading of the blood is to apply the blood. When you apply the blood, you can apply the blood to any situation. You can apply the blood to your family. I, I, I apply the blood, I plead the blood to my boys every single day that they leave the house. I say, I plead the blood over Theodore. I plead the blood over Lincoln. I plead the blood over Winston. I plead the blood over Meredith. I plead the blood over my family. May no hurt, harm, or danger come against you. May you be protected and may you be guarded. You have the ability to plead the blood over your family. You have the ability to plead the blood over your job, over your occupation. You can apply the blood. I plead the blood over this situation. May everything work out in my favor. May God work for me in this situation. You can plead. You can apply the blood in your situation. You have the ability to plead the blood over your household. I'm not talking about literally applying the blood to your household. Your neighbors will probably think that that's pretty weird, but, but you have the ability to apply the blood to your household. I dare you to do this today. Walk around from one room to the next and apply the blood of Jesus over every room in your household. I say that the enemy has no business being in this territory. I plead the blood of Jesus from every corner of my property. I, I plead the blood of Jesus saying that the enemy has no business coming against me, that while he may form an enemy that he why he will why he may form a weapon that he will not prosper against me i plead the blood of jesus my family is protected my household is protected you have the ability to apply the blood of jesus over yourself i plead the blood of jesus over my body that it will function the way that God intended for it to function. I have the ability to apply the blood of Jesus over my mind, that I would wake up in my right mind, that I would go to bed in my right mind. You have the ability to apply the blood of Jesus over yourself, that you would not walk in illness, that sickness would not be your portion, that everything would be balanced, that there would be no pain, that there would be no illness in your body. You have the ability to apply the blood of Jesus everywhere. What's beautiful about it is that it's not limited. It's not like you can only apply the blood of Jesus three times per day, only when you come to church, only when you're here in this location. It's endless everlasting means that you can apply the blood of Jesus at home and at work continually repeatedly you can apply the blood of Jesus over everything 
so that when the enemy comes against your stuff, you can apply the blood of Jesus over your stuff. That when the enemy is coming against your body, you can plead the blood of Jesus over your body. That when the enemy is coming against your church, then you can plead the blood of Jesus over your church. And we continually do this over you. We continually plead the blood of Jesus over our church family. We are continually pleading the blood of Jesus over you, over your situation, over your household, over everything that is connected to you. You have the ability to plead the blood. When you, when you adequately learn how to plead the blood, you are taking the authority that God has given to you and you are applying it correctly in your life when you are pleading the blood of Jesus over you and everything connected to you. Because there is nothing that can stand up victorious against the blood of Jesus. Nothing. It's with that said that that I want us to go into a moment where we're getting ready to receive communion. If you'll stand with me, you should have received your communion element as you walked in, if you don't have it yet, just raise your hand and somebody will bring it to you. If you're joining us online, this is your moment to prepare your elements as we get ready to receive communion. Before we receive communion, though, I need to give you an opportunity to get yourself right with Christ. When I, um, I grew up in the church, but I, I didn't really understand until I was a young adult what it meant to be a Christian. I remember being 18 years old and someone came to me and they said, hey, why do you need a savior? I said, no, I, I don't really know. Like I, I go to church all the time, but I, I don't really know. I don't really know what it means to be a Christian. I don't really know what it means to need a savior. I don't, no, I, can't, I couldn't really articulate what I needed to be saved from. And so here today, you have heard about the issue of sin and the truth in that. But you've also heard about the redemptive plan of God who sent his son as a sacrifice for us, whose blood was shed over us so that we could be in right relationship with him. You've heard that there's only one thing offered by one person at one time that can save you. And that is the sacrificial, substitutionary, awesome, powerful blood of Jesus who is the Christ. The beautiful thing about how in the Old Testament when people brought their sacrifice to the high priest, they would bring their animal, whatever kind of animal it was. And the priest would receive this animal and the priest would inspect this animal for blemishes. This animal had to be perfect. And as the priest would inspect this sacrifice, the priest never looked at the person who had 
brought the sacrifice. The priest only inspected the sacrifice. And if the sacrifice was good enough, then the person who brought it to be sacrificed was covered, was going to be okay. I came to tell somebody today that when you plead the blood of Jesus, that God does not look at you and your sin and your issues and your hangups, that when God looks at you, he sees the blood of Jesus that covers you and washes it all away. That the blood of Jesus is able to speak for you. This is your moment if you have never accepted Christ or if you haven't done it in a long time and you need to get yourself back right with Christ to do so. Today is your day. And for the benefit of those who are coming to know Christ, let's all pray this out loud. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, broken and in need of a savior. Jesus, I thank you that you are that savior. I turn from my own ways and I commit to a life with you. I know that you are that savior, that you have saved me and that now as a result of what you did on the cross, I am saved, I am saved, I am saved, I am saved. Come on, say it like you believe it, I am saved. I am saved.